Talk to my friend Drew Lennon. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I look this guy for wisdom. Benvenuto, Americani, Amici, all across this uh, fertile land, freedom-loving Americans everywhere. This is Drew Allen, your humble prognosticator uh, of all things political in this nation. Take a minute and be happy. Take a minute and celebrate. You deserve it. We deserve it. I'm sure you've seen it all by now, heard it all about what happened in Virginia. Uh, We swept it. We swept that state. It was what people on the left are calling a bloodbath. It was a bloodbath indeed. A, A very, very blue state is suddenly very, very bright red. And that is not supposed to happen. We're told that cannot happen. And so, yes, yes, amidst this quagmire of hopelessness and and despair uh, that we have to endure every day under this administration, take a moment to feel hope. Because we do have hope. There is hope. I say this again. Look, I am am a realist first. I will not blow smoke. Uh, We're not out of the woods. Not by a long shot. But what's happening should give us all hope. Uh, the left is losing their minds. They're apoplectic. And they are they are trying in vain, of course. It's always in vain to, to comprehend what happened in Virginia. They can't wrap their minds around it. I've got a lot of audio to play of some of the people on the left melting down. Uh, them giving their, well, you know, expert, which really novice, but their expert analysis about what this means for Democrats. You know, there's a few people out there that are on to something on the left, but of course, you know, people on the left, I mean, it's against their nature. It violates their their very nature to actually confront reality and actually change their tune. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. They're not going to listen to these people. They're just going to keep doubling down. That's that's all they have now. That's all they have. But there are a lot of lessons from, from Virginia here. Uh, but, but the big takeaway uh, for me here that I want to parlay to you is that the, the, the left is out of ammunition. They have nothing. Without Trump to bash, without Trump in office to ignite their base and stir up hatred, without that, they don't have anything. We know they can't run on their policies. When they run on their policies, well, what happens is what happened in Virginia. They lose so there are two takeaways here, main ones for me. The, the first is that Trump is no longer a useful strategy for the left. Uh, some of the left are saying that, that what's the, uh, the, the, I've got a pull quote from a CNN headline. They say, Donald Trump fever may be breaking. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's what's got them so fearful. By the way, this is one of the reasons they, they pushed the January 6th fake insurrection. In addition to, to trying to cont- 
continue going after Trump and ensure that he could never run for office again to try and deal him a fatal blow because they still fear him. And by fearing Trump, what I mean is they fear you and me. They fear the American people. That's what that means. But but they don't have Trump anymore. So, you know, 2020, the whole premise of that election was it was not getting people to vote for Joe Biden. It was just getting people to vote against Trump because he was evil. He was Hitler. And so the message now is, oh, my gosh, we can't make anything about Trump anymore. It didn't work. Glenn, Glenn Youngkin won. He had Trump's endorsement. But, you know, McAuliffe, I mean, he leaned heavily on trying to paint Youngkin as a Trumpist. A Trumpist. I mean, he, he, he tried to walk that back. Democrats got scared. And I'll tell you why they got scared. I'll tell you why they got scared. They, they, they don't want to confront the reality that, yet yes, one, that strategy of bashing Trump, of painting someone with a brushstroke of that's a Trumpist, it doesn't work anymore. Nobody cares. The Trump fever has broken. But they also fear that Trump may have a political future. They fear that more than anything. That's really why they didn't want to make that election about Trump. Look, McAuliffe came out heavily and he made that that gubernatorial race in Virginia about Trump. That's what he tried to make it about, a referendum on Trump. And then the, the, the media, when they saw what was happening, where McAuliffe was falling behind on the polls and all of a sudden it looked like Yunkin was going to win. He had a huge, uh, well, he was building up a very, very uh, impressive uh, margin uh, that, that showed that Yunkin was likely going to win, even ahead of the actual the actual November 2nd, the election that took place. And so they came out and they said, no, 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 don't make this about Trump. Don't make this about Trump. Because remember, the, for the left and the Democrats, it's all about the news story. It's all about that momentum, right? So, so if they're going to make this election about Trump, and then they find out that, that, that it's not working, if they find out that by making it a, about Trump, People are rejecting their argument. They're voting for it. I mean, it destroys their argument to begin with. But they say, don't make this about Trump because it proves their narrative false, that people actually aren't outraged anymore about Trump. People don't really care about January 6th. All these things that they've tried to build up to maintain their power moving into 2022 and beyond, well, it's not working. Nobody cares anymore. People actually care about you know, the issues that affect their daily lives. Inflation. Having control of their, their children's education. Uh, so anyway, I, I, uh, I actually think I want to start here. I want to play the uh, apoplectic sounds for your enjoyment of the Democrats reacting throughout CNN and MSNBC about what happened in Virginia. It should bring a smile to your face. I want this, I want, I want today, I want to fill you with hope. I want to fill you with optimism. I want my voice to encourage you so that we continue to fight on because there is reason to be hopeful. But uh, let me play this, this clip of uh, a couple different individuals calling this a bloodbath. Time. Big time, big time. Let's talk about a big time sweep, though. We haven't even talked about the scale of the landslide for Republicans in Virginia, John. 
I mean, it's, uh, you know, the governorship, the lieutenant governorship, the attorney general's uh, office. And, and I, I think it may still be slightly not totally certified, but there, I think the Virginia House of Delegates is The House of Delegates is not going to go Republican. And, and, and this is a state that has not had a statewide Republican since 2009 when Bob McDonald was governor. At the Senate level, at the gubernatorial level, the state was bright blue right. yesterday. And now... As of January, next January, the state's going to be almost entirely in control of Republicans. And that's, you know, that's a bloodbath. Now here's uh, Larry Sabato. Larry Sabato, he's asked uh, for his reaction to what's happened in, in, in Virginia. The story is, I'm not going to call it a blowout because we don't have the final, uh, final uh, numbers. But I will tell you, somebody in uh, high up in uh, McAuliffe's camp who was there with McAuliffe, uh, Put it this way to me about an hour ago. It's a bloodbath. There you have it. There's the Democrat talking point about this election. It was a bloodbath. Now, the question, of course, is how will they react? How will they respond? How will they adapt going forward? Will they change their message? Will they backtrack on their radicalism? Will they start to acknowledge their mistakes? Of course not. They cannot do it. And that is good news for us. We're not going to see their messaging change. Not from the top. Not at all. Uh, They're going to double down on this. But they have a very difficult task now going forward because, of course, what they wanted to happen in their utopian vision, their unrealistic view of the world, being so out of touch as they are, Well, of course, they were hoping that, okay, well, you know, Terry McAuliffe, he'll win in Virginia. And then uh, the headline going forward will be that our agenda is popular with the American people. It's going to be popular. That's what they needed. That's, That's where they put all their eggs in that one basket. They were leaning upon something happening in their favor in this race so that they could then take that and say, see, See, this is a a shining example that what we want to do for the American people is popular. And so then they would triple down on their agenda. But the Democrat Party is so ideologically driven, so incapable of any self-reflection, so power-hungry, and this will be their demise in the end. I don't know when that will be, but this will be their end, their excessive pride, their hubris, as I always say it. Because what's their narrative about what happened in Virginia? Oh, it's of course not that uh, their their ideas are unpopular and McAuliffe was supporting all of them. It's that, oh, well, Congress, the Democrats there, they didn't pass the reconciliation bill, the Build Back Better plan. They would have won had that only been passed. This was simply uh, represents the fact that, I mean, this is how insane they are, right? Uh, Virginia goes from a blue, dark blue Democrat state, firmly in the control of Democrats, to a bright red state overnight, and their reaction and understanding of the events that happened is, oh, well, it wouldn't have turned red if we just passed our radical agenda. That's why, why we lost. We didn't lose because people are rejecting our radical agenda. We lost because we didn't pass it already. Can you imagine being so brain dead, so out of touch with reality? And I've got more here to get into about Virginia. Don't worry. Uh, But you know what the Democrats tried to do 
failed to do again today? Well, they tried to pass their voting rights bill. Their voting rights bill, which of course would undermine election integrity in all 50 states. I want to get into this a little bit so you understand just how insidious these people are. So uh, they lose an election. You know, before I get to the story, I I have to say this. Stay with me. Track with me. Um, The only surprise, the only surprise to me was actually that McAuliffe conceded as fast as he did. I, I told you last episode, you know, Mark Elias, who he's the guy they bring in, the big heavy hitter, the leading Democrat party attorney who challenges election results. Well, they brought him into Virginia. And I think that it was just, there were too many eyes on Virginia. I think that uh, it was just so overwhelming, uh, the margin of victory. I mean, let me put it this way. So Yunkin won 51% of the vote, technically 50.9, okay? 51% of the vote. He got one point, well, let's just say 1.67 million votes. McAuliffe only got 48.4% of the vote, or 1.58 million votes. So what is that mathematically? Let's see, that's uh, uh, 1.67, 1.5, so uh, close to 80,000, around 80,000 votes. That was the margin of victory for Yunkin. So they didn't have enough teachers uh, to to go up and dig up these, these fake ballots this time. And what's funny about this, you know, the Democrats, of course, I mean, they, they, they'll, they'll try and find any silver lining they can. Good for them on that, right? Um, I suppose. But the story now is, oh, well, you know, um, because the uh, Republicans won in Virginia, uh, of course, they think it was fair and square. And this proves that there was no cheating in 2020. This actually proves that the big lie is just that, a big lie. Trump and Republicans who contend that, that there was foul play and Democrats cheated, well, this is proof that all that's bogus and that's baloney, that, that Republicans just, just make that up. They're unhappy when they lose, and when they win, they don't say a word. I mean, please, Democrats contest elections all the time, every time it's close. So the only surprise there for me was this. But I, I think that there was a strategy. Look, I mean, they kept New Jersey. So you're going to hear stories about, even though New Jersey, I mean, that's, that's actually optimistic for us as well, because the, uh, the challenger there, the Republican challenger, came awfully close to winning, awfully close to winning. So that shows a big uh, uh, um, change in momentum in this country already. Uh, but, you know, they'll use that to say, you know, what they can't say in Virginia, that, oh, yeah, we, we held on to New Jersey, you know, um, Democrats prevailed, and that's their evidence. But so what they did here in Virginia now, they're, they're now, now spinning this narrative to try and say that, you know, elections are fair and square. But you know what? This leads me to my point about this election integrity bill that they're trying to pass, this, this fake bill that they call, like everything, the opposite of what it is, a voting rights bill. The voting rights bill. So the voting rights bill, so the Democrats are out there saying, see, Republicans won in, in Virginia, uh, we never cheat, there's no such thing as cheating, it's fair and square, and yet they're trying to pass new voting legislation uh, to target these red states that are you know, requiring things like voter ID to cast a ballot, so, <laughs> I don't want, this is why I have no respect for, for Democrats. Oh, Virginia, Republicans win. They're not whining because they won. And so this proves that there wasn't massive cheating in 2020. But Republicans are cheating. And that's why we need to pass this election integrity bill. And so what this bill is, I want to get into this for a second so you understand. 
So it's voter rights legislation, they call it. And so Senate Democrats, they failed to advance. The, they call it the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, right? John Lewis. I mean, in addition to him being, uh, uh, you know, heavily involved in the, the, you know, writing of that bill and so on and so forth, he's also African-American, right? So you've got to have an African-American uh, as a name on a bill that alleges that, uh, you know, states that ask for voter ID, for example, well, they're a bunch of racist white supremacists who don't want black people to vote. We know they're losing that narrative, too. They're everywhere we look. Democrats are losing. People are just looking at them and laughing more and more people. So anyway, so this election, here's what this bill aims to do, by the way. So what they want to do is back in, um, let's see, when was this? Back in, stay with me here. Okay, back in 2013, all right? Let me just read you a little bit of this USA Today article. Democrats who control both chambers of Congress are seeking to restore protections for voting rights they condemned have eroded since the 1965 Voting Rights Act and were further scaled back by the Supreme Court in 2013. Here's what happened. In 2013, the Supreme Court ruled that states no longer had to comply with Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, which required some states and municipalities with a history of discriminatory voting laws to obtain federal preclearance before enacting changes to voting laws or practice. Well, of course, in 2013, it's not 1965 anymore. There is no active discrimination against African Americans. In most of these blue states, they don't even need an ID to vote. So this is ridiculous. Of course, it serves no purpose anymore. Um, and so what they aim to do, of course, so they want, they want to require... So basically, the Justice Department, controlled by radical leftists, they can deem any of these red states as violating and somehow all those all these phony trumped up charges, actually trumped up charges, you know, about voter suppression in red states. Well, the Democrats can use and weaponize uh, the levers of the bureaucracy in the, at the federal level to go after these red states and require them to go through the government filled with radical leftist Democrats to get preclearance before they can even change their own voting laws in the state. So this is why it's called nationalizing the elections. So if you're Texas and you want to pass and you want to pass a bill that requires voter ID at the polling place to vote, well the government can come after that state, Texas, put a stop to it and say, no, you've got to come through us for permission to do that. And so that's how it nationalizes it. Nationalizes it, okay? They can't do it on their own. They have to get permission from who? From Democrats. And what do you think Democrats are going to say every time? No. And so in this way, the Democrats want to change election law to their benefit in all 50 states. That's always been the goal. But this got put down again. And so here they are trying to say Virginia's evidence that there is no cheating. And yet they're trying to pass a, a piece of legislation that is aimed at correcting what they say is system, systemic cheating in, this, in, this, in the country. They always want it both ways. Always want it both ways. This is how they operate. But, but back, to, back to Virginia. Look at this. Winsome Sears. Oh, you got to hear from her. Winsome Sears. This, this woman's going to be a rock star. She's black and she's a Republican. She's a Marine Corps vet. She got 51% of the vote. She is now the lieutenant governor 
of Virginia. And then there's Jason Miares. He got 51% of the vote, 50.7 actually, but 51 rounded up, okay? So he's the attorney general. So you got a Republican attorney general, a Republican lieutenant governor, and a Republican governor now. In addition to that, you heard in some of that montage I played, Republicans flipped the House. They're confident that they're going to have 52 seats. This is, this is a massive bloodbath, like they said. Democrats, before this election, they had a 55-45 majority in the House at the state level there in Virginia. And the Democrats took that majority in 2017 because why? Trump hostility, right? They ginned up the base. They got everyone aggravated, everyone activated. And now this is another point, more proof that Trump doesn't work anymore. Trump hatred doesn't work anymore. That's dead. But they don't have anything else. They're sitting there with empty hands because they put all their eggs in this basket as well, right? All of their political future hopes, all of their future rested, was invested in genning up hatred towards Trump. And so now that that no longer works, they don't have a backup plan. They don't have a backup plan. All they have is, is actually, I'll play you. I'll play you what they have. This is what they have, and it's nothing. And it's going to screw them. Listen to this. This is another reaction uh, by somebody who, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross, she filled in for Joy Reid, and this is her reaction to what happened in Virginia. But let's be honest. Here's the thing. All those takes are like searching the edges while refusing to see what's staring right back at you. And I can assure you, black voters in Virginia are not shocked by the so-called Yunkin shocker. This isn't about enthusiasm. This isn't about Democrats not doing enough to exercise their base. And this definitely is not about messaging or even about beloved. This is about the fact that a good chunk of voters out there are okay with white supremacy. Let's call a thing a thing. Actually, scratch that. They are more than okay. There you have it. Uh, Yunkin, uh, his victory in Virginia and the overwhelming victory of Republicans of Virginia, well, it's, it just proves that the country is okay, more than okay with white supremacy. Let's call a thing a thing. Well, yeah, let's call you a thing. Let's call you a race-baiting moron. These people, is this not an amazing country that someone with such a low-level IQ who is totally non-inspirational, who's a liar, can pretend to be a journalist on a national television, television show? What a miracle it is. It's like Colin Kaepernick, you know? This is the worst country in the world. You know, it's a discriminatory country. The NFL is just like a plantation, a plantation that pays black football players tens of millions of dollars a year to play a game. A country that's so racist that when the NFL fires me and no one will give me a job, well, I can make even more money claiming that I am a victim of racism. This is off on a tangent, but you know, he's got his new documentary out there, Colin Kaepernick. And uh, he's adopted. Did you know he's adopted? So Colin Kaepernick, uh, well, he hit he hit the jackpot. He was given an opportunity, brought into a loving home that took care of him, and he's become a success, a massive success. He's an idiot, but he's successful. The fact that he played in the NFL at all is indication that he's a huge success story. And then he's made even more money since he's gotten out with all of his deals with Nike and speaking gigs and everything else. I mean, he's rich beyond measure. 
and he's throwing his, his parents who adopted him and gave him a life under the bus, under the bus in this documentary. Imagine being a parent who adopted a kid, gave him the world, and then they take a you-know-what, a dump on you uh, for some kind of uh, popularity contest for to earn a dollar. That's the kind of person Colin Kaepernick is, and that's the kind of person this uh, cross woman is as well. A lunatic. Um, but so, so, so here we go. So Virginia is, is a, is a uh, shining indicator to the left that this is a country that embraces white supremacy. Well, it's interesting because Winsome Sears, who won the lieutenant office of lieutenant governor with 51% of the vote, she is a black woman. And you know what? She doesn't identify as black. I mean, in the terms of she's not a white woman who says, hey, uh, I'm black. I feel black. No, she's actually physically, literally black. Imagine that. And I want you, I want you to hear. I want you to hear her speak because this is amazing. She puts, the left hates this woman. They hate this. They hate any successful uh, black individual in this country who does not get on board with the Democrat Party. And she tells the truth about how great this country is. And she is the, the antithesis of Colin Kaepernick, the antithesis of these black race baiting people like Barack Obama, who succeeds because of his race, not, not in spite of it, because of it, makes a living on the basis of the color of his skin. And then takes a dump on the country saying that it's racist, even though we elected twice a black president in this country. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a racist country. But listen to Winsome Sears. She is, she is a marvel to behold. Someone that is inspirational. And they hate people like this because now she's got a big soapbox. She's got a big soapbox. Her following will grow. And she's black. And she's going to get through to these individuals in the black community. And she's going to continue to chip away at these black individuals in this country who just swear allegiance to the Democrat Party because they were indoctrinated to believe falsely that the Democrat Party has their back and Republicans are racist. So here is a white supremacist speaking, a black white nationalist uh, speaking about America. I'm telling you that what you are looking at is the American dream. The American dream. When my father came to this country, August 11th of 1963, he came at the height of the civil rights movement from Jamaica. He came and I said to him, but it was such a bad time for us. Why did you come? And he said, because America was where the jobs and the opportunities were. came with a dollar seventy-five. One dollar and seventy-five cents. Took any job he could find and he put himself through school and started his American dream. And then, yes, and now he's comfortably retired. And then he came and got me when I was six years old. And when I stepped on that Pan Am Boeing 737 and landed at JFK, I landed in a new world. I am 
not even first generation American. When I joined the Marine Corps, I was still a Jamaican, but this country had done so much for me. I was willing, willing to die for this country. USA, USA, the crowd erupts in chants throughout this speech, throughout this acceptance speech, the crowd erupts. It sounds like a Donald Trump rally, but it's not Donald Trump speaking. It's a black woman who believes in the same things, American exceptionalism. That's what has the Democrats shaking in their boots. You know, what they attempted to achieve with their constant attacks against Donald Trump was to paint this kind of, uh, these conversation points, the American dream, patriotism, as the shouts of white nationalism as represented falsely in the person and character of Donald Trump. But now Donald Trump's out of the picture and you have other people saying the same things. They did not stop. They did, they, they failed to to make people cower in fear of talking like Trump, of being immensely patriotic. Here you have a black woman who it doesn't matter, they're still calling her, you know, like they did with Larry Elder, the face, the black face of white nationalism. You heard the clip before talking about Virginia's indication that Americans embrace white supremacy and racism. But give me a break. Anyone with, with two brain cells you can't say this about her. They'll try, but she's a fighter. You know, she's already uh, tweeted out or gone on a radio show and, and, and extended an invitation for herself to come on Joy Reid's show saying, hey, if you're woman enough, have me on. These people are fighters. This is the new breed. You know, people are stepping up that are not uh, these kind of lifelong politicians. They're not interested in fitting in in Washington, D.C., they're actually genuinely concerned about this country and this nation. And so they're not falling prey to this Mitch McConnell brand of republicanism in which, you know, you just do what McConnell says to keep your job. Because the problem with the Republican Party is so many, obviously they're unprincipled. They just want to hang on to power for themselves. They're not actually invested in, in saving the country and doing what's right. They're only interested in doing what's best for them. Doing what's gonna, uh, you know, their interest in self-preservation, not American preservation. But here you have somebody stepping up, and you know the, the 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 left is just seething in anger and rage. Hearing this woman talk about America is such a great place. And of course, remember Kamala Harris, Jamaican, first black vice president. You don't hear them saying that about this lieutenant go lieutenant governor of Virginia. We have a black. They don't celebrate it. They don't celebrate it. And if you're a black American out there and you believe in this systemic racism, you believe that uh, uh, you know black Americans can't get ahead, that this is an inherently racist country, well, you can't possibly look at Winsome Sears giving this speech, rising to this high-level position in government in Virginia, and, 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 and claim that this is a horrible country that keeps blacks down because she proves the opposite and she is passionate about explaining 
what a great country this is. She was willing to join the Marines and risk her life even while she was still a Jamaican because she loved this country. I got one more clip to play of her. There are some who want to divide us and we must not let that happen. They would like us to believe we are back in 1963 when my father came. We can live where we want. We can eat where we want. We own the water fountains. We have had a black president elected not once but twice. And here I am living proof. Right on. Right on, Lieutenant Governor. Sears. There you go. We... All of this crap that Colin Kaepernick, Barack Obama, the Democrat Party spew about oppression and everything else, they act. I've been saying this and we've all been saying it. You know this. It's so infuriating. They act like it's 1963. It's pre-civil rights movement. That's not the world we live in. We've corrected our flaws. We've overcome slavery. We've overcome uh, uh, segregation. But people in the Democrat Party act like we are back in that era. Like we've accomplished nothing. Like it's the same world of racism that existed in the Civil War, period. That's what they continue to do. And it's not true. And she proves that that's not true. And more and more of these people are achieving these positions. And it's becoming harder and harder for the left to continue to spread this lie and myth. But here's one more clip of her, okay? I am black and I have been black all my life. This is about. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Did you hear that? I'm black. I've been black my entire life, but that's not what this is about. Bingo. She is just shredding every, destroying the credibility of Democrats who have made these lies time and time again. For the Democrat Party, it's all about the color of your skin. It's all about your race. You know, someone gets a position in government because they're gay. Someone gets a position in government because uh, they're the first transgender, the first black, the first this. And here she is denouncing that, saying that, yeah, I'm black. Yeah, this is the proudest moment of my life. Yeah, I'm living the American dream. I've been black my whole life, but that's not what this is about. This is about Virginia. And this is an amazing, amazing woman. Uh, I've got some breaking news here that I just want to fill in here. Something I've been thinking about as well with this COVID tyranny. Aaron Rodgers tested positive for COVID-19, so he won't be playing in the next game uh, due to NFL protocols. Now, he was asked in the past whether he was vaccinated or not, and he said, I I've been immunized. He danced around the question. It's looking like Aaron Rodgers was not vaccinated, is not vaccinated, and has contracted COVID. And of course, the left is going to erupt. They're going to accuse Aaron Rodgers of putting his team at risk, which is absolute BS. Eric Garcetti, L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti, uh, he is a fully vaccinated, probably quadruple booster shotted individual who has also tested positive for COVID-19. So what is the difference here? Everything is unraveling before our eyes. And if you're a Democrat or Republican, an American out there who is demanding that everyone get vaccinated, if you're out there and you look at this Aaron Rodgers story and say he is irresponsible, you are a quack. You are a quack. For all this conversation about people who believe in, you know, uh, autonomy of their body, uh, the, you know, the ability 
and freedom to choose whether they get this vaccine or not. Well, you're part of the problem. You're continuing this, this pandemic. And yet we have a vaccine that is a worthless piece of crap. A vaccine that now they've admitted, and this isn't even accurate probably, but they're, they're admitting from the government, I don't know if it's the CDC, one of the you know, official uh, bureaucratic organizations out there that is the, you know, the, the, the official scientific source for all things vaccine-related in America, saying you might have six months of protection against the, the, uh, the virus. And yet if you actually get COVID and have natural immunity, you are far better protected. So I just thought you'd like to know that about Aaron Rodgers. Think what you may of him. He can be a divisive figure from time to time, but he won't be playing and the media will be attacking him. But when they're attacking him and you have friends, family members out there who are into sports and are using this as an opportunity to propel and double down on their scientific insanity, lack of scientific understanding, that are going to use this incident to... to you know, hurl insults upon the unvaxxed portion of the population, I would like you to remind them that, uh, you know, Press Secretary Jen Psaki tested positive for COVID despite being vaccinated. Now we have Mayor Garcetti testing positive for COVID despite being vaccinated. So what's the difference? These individuals are absolute fools, have no ability to think for themselves whatsoever, and they are tyrants buying into more lies from the government that has lied to them for well, a long time, but especially, especially over the past five or six years. And they continue to believe the same people who lie to them time and time again. That is not an intelligent individual. Um, so anyway, so Virginia, there you have the black uh, uh, face of white supremacy in Virginia now saying all the things the Democrats says aren't true about this country. But this is what's amazing about what's happening. Uh, in New Jersey... There is an individual who won a seat in a local election there. Uh, his name, let's see here, Deedly D, Deedly D. I forget the individual's name. Let me see if I can, I can find it here. Every day my stack grows longer. There is so much to cover and so much to talk about. And I can remember so much. I have such a brilliant mind, but occasionally these names do indeed escape me. Um... Let me play the clip, and then uh, let's see if it says it or if I remember here. Uh, Edward Durr. Edward Durr. That's his name. See, it always comes back to me. Uh, just have to be patient sometimes. So Edward Durr, he is a truck driver in New Jersey who won a seat uh, to, the, to the house there in New Jersey, I believe. He is a regular, ordinary American. And it's worth pointing out that he is a breath of fresh air and honesty. What we need is outsiders coming in and taking over these positions. We don't need political elites who are groomed for these positions coming in. The way our system was designed, the way our system was designed was to have individuals, American citizens, who were successful, who had worked, who were patriotic, who then sacrificed to give back to their country for a period of time. Not to be lifelong politicians. That's what the founding fathers could never have understood or comprehended. I mean, George Washington, I mean, there was there were not term limits for presidents when he was the first president in the country. He set the precedent and stepped down after two terms. Can you imagine if that precedent wasn't set? Imagine if Barack Obama had been the first president of the United States. Do you think he would have stepped down or declared himself like lifelong dictator? 
Well, you know, that's a rhetorical question. You know the answer to that. But of course, he hasn't stepped down anyway. He's still politically active. And we know he's behind the scenes working with the cabal uh, to push forward his Marxist agenda to radically, fundamentally transform America in perpetuity. So we know the answer to that question. But here is Edward Durr. Listen to what he has to say about what he's going to do when he goes uh, uh, to work in New Jersey. Ed, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get to the Capitol in Trenton? Uh, I really don't know. That's that's the key factor. I don't know what I don't know, so I will learn what I need to know. And I'm going to guarantee you one thing. I will be the voice and people will hear me because if there's one thing people will learn about me, I got a big mouth and I don't <laughs> shut up. When I want to be heard, I'm going to be heard. Well, I will a... let... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Finish your thought. I, w I was just going to say that I, I, I will be that voice for the people because he chose to sit back and do nothing. So there you have it. There's Edward Durr, a breath of fresh air. And so actually it's uh it's the state senate in New Jersey that he's won a position for, but it's it's huge. It's huge. And I think that the media will overlook this story if they're going to talk about this upset at all. They're going to focus on the fact that Edward Durr is a stupid truck driver, right? He didn't go to Harvard, he didn't go to Yale. He doesn't have the right credentials. But that's exactly why he is a special man. And the kind of kind of uh, individual that we need to run for office, especially in these state elections going forward, he's like you and me, a concerned American citizen uh, who wants to 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 actually influence and protect New Jersey and the country. But but what the media might not tell you, I will tell you. So he defeated Steve Sweeney, a Democrat. Now Steve Sweeney is not a schmuck. Uh, Steve Sweeney is New Jersey's longest running state Senate president. And he spent a ton of money in this race. In fact, if I recall, I, I think that, um, he might've conducted one of the most expensive statewide elections in, in the country, um, in, in the past. This is one of the most powerful politicians in New Jersey state politics. And a truck driver just beat him for the seat. Um, and, and this is huge. I mean, Durr, do you know how much money he spent on his election? Durr, the, the, the truck driver who won the seat? He spent $153. He, he spent $66 at a Dunkin' Donuts to buy food and drinks for his staff, and he spent another $86 for paper flyers and business cards. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. And he was going against a machine. Somebody who, who is the longest-running state Senate president in New Jersey, and he beat him. And, you know, the, the, the media, like I said, what do you think they're going to say? They're going to say, oh, did you listen to that interview with that that Durr guy, that dumb truck driver, he doesn't even know what he's going to do. He doesn't even know how the Senate works already in the state. Well, that's how it works. Any honest individual, that would actually be the response. I mean, if you run for Congress and win and you've never served in Congress before, there's a learning period. Just like if you get a job anywhere else. If you're a CEO and you get hired at a new company 
Well, you have to figure it out and learn how the company works. That's normal. Unfortunately, what we have is a bunch of radical ideologues who are groomed for these positions, who don't have any experience, whose entire life and career, like Joe Biden, is politics. They don't have any practical understanding. They don't understand taxes. They don't understand earning a living. They don't understand hardship. They just get into office immediately. That's their lifelong career. And then they make policy decisions that affect tens of millions of Americans without actually knowing the impacts. But they don't care about the impacts. I mean, some of these ideologues, look, don't mistake me. They know what they're doing. They're well-versed in Marxism. They're well-versed in Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals like Barack Obama. They don't care. Their job in their minds is not to create policies that work for America. It's to divide America and consolidate power for the political party, which in their case is the Democrat Party. Having life experience is not important to Democrats. I mean, we see that. Look at the uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. The guy has never done anything substantial in terms of success in the private sector. He's the transportation secretary who's never worked in transportation, who doesn't have any experience in, for example, supply chain management. But he's gay, and he threw his weight and support behind Joe Biden, so he's rewarded with a position. It's not about having experience. It's not about being qualified for the job. It's just about being obedient. And I love this Dur guy, what he says to say. He's got, he says, I got a loud mouth, and I'm a, he's a fighter. He's going to get in there and do what's right. Finally, somebody with principle. This is what is happening, and this is what is great for the nation. People are awake. People are becoming politically activated and involved. And that's what's been sorely missed. The Democrat Party's been organized for decades. They actually are passionate about destroying this country. They're passionate about their ideology. They are looking to, to, to gain positions of power, to influence this country, fundamentally transform it. But Republicans and conservatives who are principled, well, they're like Edward Durr. They're just working stiffs. I don't mean that in a, in a pejorative way. That's what we all are. We're just focused on our families, working, giving back to our communities. But if we don't vie for these positions of power, whether it's at the state level, the local level, or the national level of politics, well, the Democrats run roughshod over us and we lose the country. And so this is a movement. Well, you know, I talked about Let's Go Brandon, I think the last episode, right? If you recall me talking about that, identifying exactly what that means for the American people. And it's not just a F Joe Biden chant. It's a pro-America chant. It's the silent majority in this country finding their voice at last. Finally getting the courage. Let's Go Biden represents a, a fundamental shift in the culture, a fundamental shift in the hearts and minds of conservatives who are finally speaking out, who are finally saying, we're not going to be silent anymore. We're going to be Edward Durr. We're going to be loud. We're going to be in your face. You can't silence me. I'm going to fight. And I don't care what you say about me. That's what's happening. 
And let's go Biden is represented also in Winsome Sears acceptance speech, everything she's saying. She's out there to destroy the left's narrative about black people in this country and racism. That's what she's doing. That's her role in all of this because she is uniquely qualified as a black American to reach out to these communities. And we're seeing it out here in, in, in California, in L.A. Um, with, with Joe Collins. Joe Collins challenging Maxine Waters. He's black. And he's out there going into these inner cities, into the black community as a black man, and meeting them eye to eye on their level as someone who shares that life experience. And he's doing the same thing. And this is important for us. It's important for us. And so... Let's Go Brandon is a chant to take back this country. Let's Go Brandon is represented with Winsome Sears. It's represented with Yunkin. It's represented by Edward Durr. This is the movement I'm talking about. This is the movement that has the left terrified. That's why they want to eliminate that from the English vernacular. Let's Go Brandon can't be stopped. This is Duralan, and I'll be right back. One short break. I'm breathless after nearly 50 minutes of non-stop political genius. Well, of course, that was the unmistakable intro music to the Rush Rush Limbaugh show. Excellence in broadcasting. And it's apropos. I, I don't play it that often. Uh, But I think it's appropriate at this moment because I think a lot of people in this moment in time, I mean, Rush was a a, a comforting voice in times of hardship. People leaned on him, depended upon him to to, to analyze the, the political landscape and to kind of assuage people's fears and doubts and to reaffirm And give people confidence that what they were feeling, what they were thinking, was accurate. He was a sounding board. You thought things and Rush said them. And then he gave you encouragement uh, to be bold in your beliefs. And I think it's appropriate now because I think a lot of people are wondering what Rush would say today. And and I think he would would encourage you like I hope I have done uh, to tell you to to be happy with what's happened in Virginia, to be filled with hope by what's happening in this country, as dark as the times are, as dark as the times are. And uh, I don't talk about myself too often, but from a religious perspective, uh, as a Christian, you know, sometimes we encounter hardship, but there's a plan that's bigger than us, and we can't see it. But I, I, I genuinely believe that The things we've suffered are eventually going to be to the greater benefit of this nation. You know, there's an awakening happening. We've got all these instances of Americans stepping up finally and getting politically active. And, um, you know, dormancy is over. Dormancy is over. People are stepping up to accept their responsibility to defend and protect this country. And that's what we need. That's what we've long needed. And... Were it not, 
I mean, but for the hardship we're experiencing today, this wouldn't have happened. This wouldn't have happened. So I think that this struggle is going to be worth something in the end. I think we're going to come out of this stronger uh, than we were before. And look, I mean, what's happened with Trump and, you know, what happened in 2020 and everything else? Well, the, the, what, what, what's the upshot in the end? Well, we finally understand how corrupt our government is. We finally understand the left more and more. Uh, more and more people are observing. Um, they are savvy to the evils of the Democrat Party. And yes, even those people in the Republican Party as well, like the Mitch McConnells and so on and so forth. But that's also a good segue because I wanted to mention Dan Bongino. Uh, Dan Bongino, he, in many stations throughout the country, you know, uh, the people who who carry him is Cumulus uh, Networks, okay? It's a corporate, uh, you know, it's a company and they have a vaccine mandate. And so Dan Bongino has been employed by them, and he has taken over the Rush Limbaugh time slot through our time slot in many parts of the country. Not all of them, you know, others are filled by, for example, Buck Sexton and Clay Travis. But Dan Bongino is is the heir in many localities throughout the country. And... I don't know Dan personally. I'll say this. Um, you know, my publicist, uh, he's worked with Dan before. And I, from everything I understand, Dan is the real deal. He puts his, his money where his mouth is. And actions speak louder than words. And so he's risking millions of dollars in terms of his employment with Cumulus and having this three-hour radio station because he's standing up for autonomy for freedom of choice when it comes to this stupid vaccine mandate and there are countless feckless republicans cowardly unprincipled republicans conservatives who are out there on radio stations doing what i'm doing even in podcasting vying for dan's position putting out the word that they're a bunch of corrupt corporatists themselves they won't speak out against the vaccine mandates they won't cause trouble They're down for the new segregation. They're down for the tyranny. Just pay them the bucks. Don't worry. Just get rid of Dan. We'll fill in. We won't cause a problem. And those people are a disgrace. And so I just want to say that I sit here behind this microphone and I throw my full support behind Dan Bongino. And if you're a Dan fan, well, you can do what is effective. What Rush Limbaugh and Mark Levin, for example, would occasionally call for. Email Cumulus. Flood their phones. Tell them that this is absolutely tyrannical. That you don't stand behind it. That you reject it. You denounce it. That they're evil. Participating in something that is un-American. So I would encourage you to do that. And I just want to point that out about Dan and what I think of him. You know, it's uh, he's a great voice out there. And he's cut through and bridged the gap between, uh, you know, to new generations of conservatives. And he's popular for a reason, because he's talented, he's bold, and he's fearless. And we've all got to be like that. And we've got to stand behind our people. We can't watch them suffer. We have to get involved. 
But I want to circle back, as I often like to do on this show. I started out the program talking about Virginia and speaking about the uh, my main two takeaways from this election. The first takeaway is this, as I alluded to in the beginning of, the pro- of this podcast. Uh, the Democrats are empty-handed. They don't have a strategy. Their only strategy has been Trump is evil, and if they can paint anyone as a Trumpist, well, they can destroy them. Well, that doesn't work for them anymore. So they are strategy-less, without a strategy. Virginia proved that. But there's another lesson and a takeaway, and that is that when Republicans and conservatives focus on the issues, don't run from them, don't flee from them, when we confront Democrats, when we actually take the time and use our energy and explain to the American people why the Democrat policies suck and why they're harmful to Americans, and when we then also provide what our solutions are, and explain how those solutions are going to benefit the average American citizen in their daily life, his or her daily life, well, that's effective for us. And Republicans have been feckless and really, really sadly uh, incapable and unwilling to, to take that fight to the Democrats. So we can win on these issues if we just will confront them and not let the Democrats hijack the conversation and label us as X, Y, and Z, white supremacists, etc. We have to stand boldly. We have to denounce the Democrat Party, and we have to explain what our solutions are. That's a winning strategy. McConnell and those people, they're hopeless. They don't do it. They've never converted anyone to conservatism. Mitch McConnell's never explained the detrimental effects of Democrat policies, and he's certainly never explained the uh, important benefits of conservatism because he's not a conservative. So we've got to do that, all right? So those are the main two takeaways. But anyway, that's how I want to wrap up the show. I didn't have time to get to everything I wanted to get to. You know, you'll have to stick with me again soon. Uh, There's more to talk about. So much more, as always. Um, The the, the assault will continue uh, by the Democrats to strangle democracy in America. Mark Elias, by the way, just to end with, he tweeted out, only in the U.S. Senate can a vote of 51-48 result in strangling democracy. He's talking about that voting rights bill I, I, I was talking about earlier, that that was defeated once again. These people despise constitutionality. They hate the American system of government. They hate checks and balances. They hate that they have a, a they struggle um, with tyranny, that our system actually does a decent job of preventing that which has destroyed other nations throughout history. And so this assault will continue. You'll hear, uh, you know, continued calls for ending the filibuster, for stacking the Supreme Court. The Democrat Party, they're all in for tyranny. There's no going back for them. And again, that's good news for us. But what we have to do is answer the call, and we have to step in and have the courage to denounce Democrats and explain what conservatism is to the American people. This is Drew Allen. God bless you, and until next time.